0: Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reid. Well, many of you will be trying to avoid the winter weather here and the heading overseas, so I thought it would be handy to get some tips before you go from our travel medicine expert, Dr. Peter Hopkins. Welcome, Peter. Greetings. Peter, what is it exactly that you guys do at the King Street Medical Practice in the travel medicine section?
1: Well, it's just we've um, become a travel medicine group more out of uh, chance that uh, there was a GP who set up a clinic uh, close by nearly 20 years ago, and uh, but he, had, he got an offer to go to, to the United States, so we took over his practice. Uh, he did some training for us. Uh, I've become a member of the National Travel Medicine Society and uh, fairly involved in travel medicine. As a result of that, we have provided a service where we have all the vaccinations here in our fridge. Um, We able to provide anti-malarial medication, insect repellent, travel kits, um, sort of one-stop shopping for travel.
0: Right. So, what would be the commonest question that you get asked?
1: Uh, What shots do I need?
0: Right. Okay.
1: They often come with fears that there's going to be a a long list, and they're going to have to put up with twenty or thirty needles. It's never anything like that. Um, The vaccinations themselves are specific to where the person is going, but there's now also a number of combined shots so that we can get away with fewer injections.
0: And how do you know what to give people?
1: There are guidelines and uh, the basis that the major uh, resource we have is CDC in America um, that gives us uh, recommendations and then partly what we uh, pick up through our experience of, of where people are going and what they'll need. Mm. The There are websites that people can go to that... Uh, look up what country they're going in and get a list of, of vaccinations. One of the limitations is that it really depends on variables that they can't put into the computer, where exactly they'll be staying, what sort of accommodation they'll have, uh, what activities they'll be doing, how long they'll be in, the, in a place for. All those factors are quite important as to what people will get. Mm. The guidelines that they receive from travel uh, from travel sites on the web Tend to be over inclusive, they tend to uh, try and cover everything, make sure that they give vaccinations, which uh, often at times really aren't warranted.
0: Oh, okay. So basically, with the CDC, you get more specific, you can punch in those particular parameters and get more specific sort of information?
1: To a degree, yes.
0: And is that is it relevant too that that's up to date in terms of particularly malaria?
1: Uh, it is up to date and <clears throat> but again the guidelines that there are uh factors for consideration uh for anti medication, which one you take, uh, also depends a bit on what your sensitivities are and if you um uh your past medical problems and uh what you can tolerate. So that will that will have some say and also what you can afford will have some say on what anti medication to take.
0: Ah, see so this is where the expertise comes in, huh? And is CDC a, a program that you actually subscribe to?
1: No, it's a, a government, uh, American government-funded uh, site that uh, is accessible to anyone who can get onto the web.
0: Right, but it allows you to punch in more of these variables?
1: To a degree, yes.
0: Right, but the rest of it is in your head?
1: Uh, we have resources, and, and I'm all, uh, as a member of the National Travement Society, we have a very active chat room, which is quite handy because uh, if you have some questions that... Uh, some tricky ones, yeah. I can actually put a question in and, and get um, uh, quite uh, amazing, even local knowledge um, mm. from people who are there at the moment uh, as to what's, what's happening, what the weather's like, what people think they should do.
0: Ah, okay. So what sort of um, people do you get wanting to travel?
1: Oh, a wide range. The but there's probably two major groups would be the young adventurous type who uh, going off a life experience um, versus the the retired couple who uh, now have time and some money on their hands and decide to go and have some more life experiences that way and certainly then the the wide range between that is uh, people going overseas for work commitments for Mm. um, job opportunities and uh, so it's quite a range of people that we see.
0: So the sort of people that I was thinking of when um, I thought up talking to you <laughs> were the people who just go, for example, to Bali, Europe, safer sort of destinations at this time of year. What would be some of the considerations that you would discuss with them?
1: If we take Bali at the start, mm-hmm. the most important thing for Bali is hepatitis A. Right. Hepatitis A is a viral infection spread by food and water, It is common in third world countries. It's probably the most common vaccine-preventable disease that travellers get, and I highly recommend that people have vaccination for that. We now have uh, very good vaccinations, hepatitis A. In the past, it was the immunoglobulin injection in the buttock, which only gave uh, limited protection for short term, but now the hepatitis A shot uh, gives the antigen, the body produces antibodies, and that will give protection the first shot for a year, and then you have a booster shot, and that will cover you... I was saying 20 years, uh, it's possibly going to be for lifetime protection.
0: Right. And how soon or how late can you leave it before you travel?
1: The wonderful thing about the hepatitis A, you actually have it the day before you go. Oh, okay. We prefer that people have vaccinations uh, at least a week to 10 days before traveling to an area, uh-huh. um, but hepatitis A is an exception in that, that it can be the day before, but I, I would that's sometimes how people do turn up I'm heading out tomorrow doc, what do I need exactly. uh, the preference if you do think ahead and see us or see your doctor perhaps a month before going uh, just to arrange things Okay. the other key thing for Bali, uh, Bali is considered malaria risk, sorry it's a malaria free area, you don't require anti-malarial medication for Bali, however Lombok which is within the side of some parts of Bali is a malaria risk area okay. and the crucial thing for malaria, it's spread by a nighttime mosquito, so it's where you're spending the nights that's uh, the issue. If you are just doing a day trip over to Lombok, it doesn't matter. If you're going over and staying in Lombok, um, it depends on your level of accommodation, what, uh, whether you'll need protection. If you're staying in one of the air-conditioned resorts, then I don't think anti is be warranted. If you're staying in the beach huts, well, then that's a different matter and you may need antimalarial cover there. Further to Bali, the uh, crucial or important thing in Bali is dengue fever. Dengue fever is a viral infection spread by a daytime mosquito. There is no vaccination for dengue fever. Dengue fever, there's quite an outbreak uh, at the moment in Southeast Asia, some Pacific islands, and it is an issue in um, tropical areas. You can get dengue fever in Australia north of Cairns. The key thing there is just insect protection to keep the mosquitoes away. And our key guideline there is to use Bushman, which is 80% DEET, and it lasts for eight hours. RID or top barrier guard are okay, but they last two or three hours, and it's uncommon for people to be putting anti malarial medication, also anti-infect um, uh, repellent on every two or three hours, so the Bushman's easier to use in that way.
0: Have you ever used Bushman for an extended period of time yourself?
1: No, uh, Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm told it takes off nail polish. It, Absolutely. It, it, it plastic wine I tell you and, what
0: really, really upset me was my swatch. It totally ruined uh, my swatch band.
1: Uh, uh, so it's powerful stuff. So <laughs> yes. it works, and so there's, that's the balance of... Um,
0: oh, yes, I did you know, get dengue. So believe you me, you do not want dengue. It is foul.
1: And the, the catch with dengue, the, the first attack's bad. Mm. The second attack is potentially fatal. So oh, So um, yes,
0: thank you you for warning me. (laughs) Well, the the
1: key thing there is that there's a few different types of dengue, and the thoughts are that the the type you get, you may actually be immune to that, but there's some hypersensitivity reaction if you get one of the other dengues and. Uh, that's a careful area for, for people. That's a reason not to get dengue
0: fever. It is a very good reason not to get dengue fever, yeah. Plenty of Bushmen. So, but it's, I believe that the risk of malaria is greatly decreased if you sleep under a DEET impregnated net at night. Uh, but that's then again that nighttime mosquito, isn't it?
1: Yeah, not DEET impregnated, um, but permethrin. Permethrin is a okay. key chemical, okay. and you can get some skin in it which are uh, already soaked in yep. permethrin, or we sell a kit which has got permethrin in it for, for soaking, mm-hmm. and you can actually soak your pyjamas, or um, even your sleeping bag, or tents even can be soaked in permethrin. Right. Permethrin is a very good, it's not just an insect repellent, it's actually insecticidal, mm-hmm. but it is... Relatively safe with contact to human skin.
0: Yes, it's safer, isn't it? Indeed. Yes. <clears throat>
1: and uh, it actually will keep away the bed bugs and um, <laughs> other insects. And the, and the point of an insect net, um, net with uh, permethrin is good for six months. If you're washing your clothes, washing your pajamas regularly, then I wouldn't say it'd be six months cover, but it would certainly cover for a number of washes.
0: Right. So with your net, you should be doing it, if you say, one of these backpackers that goes into malarious areas every three, six months?
1: Every six months, yes.
0: Right. So a good idea to take your kit with you? Yes. Mm. The other thing that gets mentioned there usually in conjunction is water purification.
1: The barley belly mm. or uh, traveller's diarrhoea, uh-huh. the recommendations, uh, it's <clears> either <throat> so if you can boil it, cook it, peel it or forget it. Right. The point there is the, um, if it's freshly cooked food, then that should be fine, but be wary of salad. Salad uh, either being grown in contaminated soil or washed in contaminated water, so the risk of infection. Uh, ice is another one to be wary. People, they may have the drink poured out of a nice sterile Coke bottle or other thing, soft drink, and it's fine. They put the local ice in to cool it down. The local ice can potentially uh, give you gastroenteritis.
0: Mm -hmm. What about washing your hands before you eat? Uh,
1: One of the recommendations, there are things that, um, or limitations what you can do, but uh, the soap um, and possibly having bottled water for cleaning your teeth, um, those sorts of things. What about the
0: wipes for your hands? They're kind of handy, aren't they? Yes,
1: Mm. Um, and that will uh, it will decrease the risk of picking up any gastroenteritis.
0: And uh, you get told commonly to eat off the streets. You know what you can see being cooked up in front of you. Have you any sort of advice about that? Yeah,
1: freshly cooked food is probably fine. Um, but then and, and also the, the cats at the five-star that oh. As you don't, you can't actually see what happens in the kitchen. If you did, it might frighten you. <laughs> um, again, freshly cooked um, food to. If you, if you're wary or happy with that, then that's the way to go.
0: And people often ask me if they can actually take some antibiotics with them. Is there any recommended um, treatment once they've actually developed diarrhoea?
1: For traveller's diarrhoea, we have a handout with a chart in it for them to work their way down the chart. Is it uh, with blood or without blood that's in the diarrhoea? Is it with fever, without fever, persistent or sudden onset? And then you go down to... And the medication, it may just be some Imodium or Gastrostop, which is uh, to slow the bowel down, but uh, Neuroxin or Ciprofloxin are very good antibiotics for treating travellers diarrhoea.
0: Now, are they expensive, those two?
1: Um, The Imodium or (coughs) Gastrostop is cheap. You can buy that across the counter at the chemist. Uh Uh, The Neuroxin or Ciproxin can be expensive, um, but that would be the recommendation for... Travelers' diarrhoea. Yeah. Okay. The other thing that I sometimes uh, give for people travelling uh, is some kefalexin, which is an antibiotic which is very good broad cover for skin infections, uh, particularly for surfers going on um, their surfing trips, mm. uh, coral cuts. Okay, and so that's infection. another
0: another group, isn't it?
1: Yes. And the kefalexin is also good for respiratory tract infections and uh, urine tract infections, so it covers quite a, a deal, right. so it'd be a backup antibiotic for um for other infections but not so much for travelers diarrhea.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the surfers in there they invariably get some sort of ulcer, they don't see C type ulcer.
1: They're at risk of that yes.
0: Yeah. And then the the treatment for that is antibiotics and what sort of dressings should they take?
1: Um the key thing that we Give in our travel kits is some Betadine or Povidone with iodine mm-hmm. antiseptic, mm-hmm. and uh, just cleaning cleaning with that uh, is important. And then, depending on the dressing, and depending a bit on the size of the wound and mm. uh, what they've got with them. Mm, mm. So it's hard to. It is describe. You know what? To, which sort of dressing would be best? And then um, besides
0: they, that, they don't. They surf eight hours a day. They keep going, yeah. <laughs> and they get very skinny and, and wear off edges. <laughs> 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 In my experience.
1: Yes, yes. We, we see lots of travellers going, or lots of surfers going to. Do, uh, remote parts of Indonesia for their travel mm. or to the Maldives or mm. uh, all around surfing that perfect wave.
0: And the remote, yeah, the remote parts of Indonesia are where your malaria becomes important.
1: Yes, extremely. Mm.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay, again, back to the malaria, the, the most important thing of, of preventing malaria is don't let the mosquito bite you. Yes. That's far more important than what anti malarial medication you take or yeah. uh, any other. There's sort of three levels of protection that we go through. The right. first, the stopping the mosquito from biting you and that's when the mosquito nets, that's with the permethrin, that's with the the bushman, uh, long sleeve pants, long sleeve shirt but again that depends on the weather and what the, the person's uh, intending mm. to take with them the insect uh, repellent uh, so the, the consideration is that light coloured clothes uh, attract mosquitoes less than dark coloured clothes but that's uh, splitting hairs a bit probably, the the second part is what animal medication to take and there uh, the toss between doxycycline, um, malarone, which is quite expensive, or larium, which uh, has some or contraindications if the person has had a problem with depression and that in the past. Mm-hmm. And the third line protection, no matter what you're taking, what you're doing, if you've been to a malaria risk area, malaria takes a minimum of eight days to come on, it may take a couple of weeks, a couple of months to come on. Any fever is malaria until proven otherwise. If you develop a fever, see a doctor about it, we can diagnose, treat and cure malaria but catching it early is important.
0: Mm, Exactly and far less life-threatening.
1: Potentially yes.
0: (laughs) So is the perfume story also relevant? Uh,
1: Strong perfumes perfumes or aftershaves may attract mosquitoes. I think that a, a bigger factor that again we can't control or bottle it some people are more attractive mosquitoes than others <laughs> oh, and whether that's pheromones or something <laughs> or you something. can be in a room and, and some people they know for sure that if there's a mosquito about they'll get bitten whereas other people around them won't mm.
0: you're listening to Wellbeing. we're discussing the wonderful world of travel medicine with Dr Peter Hopkins do you find that people generally are pretty healthy that travel these days or are there people with medical concerns that need special attention
1: there is an increasing number of people with medical problems because of the the, the degree of travel that's happening nowadays. The mm-hmm. Australians and are, um, are very keen to you know, have life experiences and get around. Um, so I'm finding quite a number of people with some underlying health problems that need to be considered uh, and that may limit, or the advice may be that where you're going actually is... Uh, Really not safe for fear of you having an exacerbation of your your medical problem, but most people that we can make adjustments and um, considerations. And the key thing if you're travelling is to have travel insurance. For travel insurance, you want rescue and retrieval insurance. You don't want insurance that will cover your medical costs where you're. Um, particularly if you're going to third-world countries because the medical costs are small. Mm. what More importantly, you want uh, to have the service so that someone will, will fly in and pick you up and bring you home. Mm. And so make sure that's the insurance cover you have.
0: Well, that's a very good tip. Yes. And so um, make sure you take plenty of medication with you because you may not be able to get it where you go,
1: yeah? Yeah, well, the concern, uh, particularly in um, third-world countries, is counterfeit medication, that they <laughs> may say that it is such and such. But in reality, that it may not be, and that's uh, particularly anti-malarials. So, strong advice to take the medication with you. You may need to have a letter from your doctor uh, if you're taking Mm. medications out, um, stating what medications you're taking, uh, why you're taking. Um, Particularly if you're going for a couple of months, to uh, the government doesn't like the idea of you taking PBS medications out and selling it overseas, which is
0: uh, fair uh, enough. Yes because mm, it can fetch quite a price, can't it, on the... Uh so
1: what we, we really don't appreciate, the, the medication, yes. the very expensive medication that we get uh, government-subsidised yes. uh, is worth a considerable amount of money overseas.
0: Precisely where the standard of living is lower. Yeah. And what about people, you know, with... Um, well, fairly common one these days is people who've had some sort of cardiovascular disease, stenting or bypass, or... What do you advise for them, say, on the long trips to
1: Europe? I think for everyone, the, the big concern is the, the, the DVTs or yep. the clotting in the legs mm. and the concern of, and that can then spread to the lungs and call pul- pulmonary ambulance and that's potentially fatal. There are now, when you get on board, mm-hmm. um, the, the airlines will give you handouts, the key things to maintain hydration, to keep your fluid intake up, so keep plenty of fluid and physical activity.
0: Discluding, discounting alcohol.
1: Yes, alcohol dehydrates you. alcohol. Mm. Uh, you drink enough of that, they'll send you to the toilet and you'll pass the, the alcohol plus more, so you avoid that. Mm. The, the key thing now for the exercise, uh, unfortunately, if you've been on flights in the last few years, that when the, um, the the movie's been shown or the meal's been handed out, then 300 people get up and start walking around the plane in different directions. Mm. The, the push for that is, that getting up and walking around is important, uh, you just have to coordinate um, how you're doing it. There are exercises you can do sitting down, and there's normally in, there's a handout um, in the back of the travel magazines that the airlines provide uh, for exercises suggested to help limit the risk of that.
0: And do you but talk about aspirin, using aspirin at all,
1: the, just for flights? The aspirin actually isn't proven to be a benefit. Right. Aspirin is good for preventing heart attacks and strokes, which are arterial clots. The DVTs occur in the veins, right. and so there isn't strong evidence that they are looking into it, but the mm. the, the word is not that that would be a way of preventing DVTs. More importantly uh, is the exercise and the hydration. For people who are at high risk, uh, <clears throat> people who have had DVTs in the past, then they may need to wear stockings, uh, and the most high-risk people may actually require um, some uh, calciparin or heparin uh, injections but that's that's unusual and uh, that's a matter of discussion with the doctor who can arrange that if required
0: mm. and then timing of medications what or or um, you know do you do you set your watch by the clock where you're going when you first get on the flight or the
1: the change medication the medication um, is not as difficult as some people think well not as mm. crucial, uh, particularly people with with uh, large number of people on and medication for high blood pressure
0: um,
1: mm. taking that medication or missing that medication being twelve hours out is not life threatening no. so um, it's more to adjust to the the timing when you arrive at the place um, and if it's a twice day medication and you're on a twelve hour flight then okay, then you just tee uh, that in fairly easily but uh, if it is more complex, then it'd be a matter of change, discussing that with your local doctor um, before going if there is anything more important. But I think the hardest one would be the, the diabetics with insulin and um, yeah. uh, the need to try and control the sugars, but that's, uh, again, for discussion with Specialized the
0: doctor. discussion, yeah. The $6 million question usually is, how am I going to prevent jet lag? <laughs>
1: uh, don't travel. <laughs> that's
0: right. Uh, That's been my impression. I, yeah.
1: the, uh, I'm afraid it's, um, that it is the worst experience if you're travelling from west to east than from east to west. Yes. And so if you do have a, a choice, if you're doing a round-the-world trip, then I'd head from Australia uh, to Asia, Europe, US and back that way. Now, the reasoning for that is that when you get on the plane and travelling that way, the nights become longer if you're travelling uh, into the sun the other way, the nights are shorter, and so the, it's harder to adjust or it's harder to, um, to to catch up with that sleep. But there are ways of trying to uh, alter your style or alter your hours of, of sleeping and going before you leave, um, but it's, it's a matter of, some people are affected far more seriously than others, and it's a bit of luck of the draw.
0: And there's been a little bit of talk about melatonin. They use it, I believe, in uh, pilots and the staff, the crew. Yes,
1: yeah, still not definite. Right. And still um, yet to be uh, recommended as a routine. But mm. what's this space that may change in the near future? Hopefully. But, but, yes, let's wait and see.
0: I had heard, actually, that the commonest cause of, of problems in travellers was car accidents, you know, pedestrian accidents.
1: Um, there's, there's a high incidence of respiratory tract infections because, uh, whether it's because you're now exposed to viruses that you're not used to, or whether your immune system is a bit is um, impacted on because of the jet lag and yeah. the lack of sleep. And, uh, but motor vehicle accidents are common. Uh, one of the parts is that you have to appreciate the large part of the world travels on the other side of the road to us, so we're it's crossing sad. the road looking the correct way to make sure you're not hit. And the other part of motor vehicle accidents, if you go over to Bali, uh, you can get on and hire a motorbike or moped oh, and just travel yes. around without the need to have anything such as a driver's license or uh, anything silly like that. Mm. And that's where people get high-risk behaviour and uh, and suffer consequences.
0: Yeah, I think there's even they've even coined a phrase for it now: scooter benders or something like that. The orthopods back here.
1: Yes, <laughs> and I also give people a recommendation if they go to uh, to Bangkok, don't cross the road. Right. Um, the, <laughs> Full um, stop. Yes, and then if you didn't get a taxi to cross, even if there is a car car crash and the, the traffic is all coagulated, it yes. doesn't mean you can duck across because there are little guys on motorbikes who yes. can pick you off as you go. Right. It, 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 there is uh, what we consider as bad traffic. Here in Australia, I'm afraid there's another level of bad traffic when you get to some countries overseas.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much for your time, Peter. It's been a fascinating and very jam-packed information session. I really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Bye.
0: Thanks, Peter. Bye. I've been speaking to Dr. Peter Hopkins from the King Street Medical Practice, Re-Travel Medicine. Some fascinating insights and some wonderful advice. So hope that your next holiday is uneventful. And from all of us here at Wellbeing, we'd like to say we wish you well.